Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to the B&E podcast. That's Brandon and Evan. And we talk about art. <laughs> we talk about industry. <laughs> I'm just trying to entertain Evan here because, you know, I, I, I figure we might as well start these podcasts off with a little bit of fun, a little bit of, you know, it's not a so serious Sunday, man. Yeah, because it's, <laughs> it might as well start out fun because it gets so, so intense um, yeah i know you're you know it gets so serious by the end of it yeah <laughs> so philosophical um but you know we're a couple guys drinking beer talking about art mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to navigate this crazy world as artists yeah and uh which is already crazy enough as it is yeah so thanks for joining us and we'll try to be as entertaining as possible while we give you some profound shit to think about maybe <laughs> usually no promises yeah usually we say something that is kind of profound to either one of us. Yeah. At some point could be super basic to you. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, whatever we're trying, in which case you're probably hitting the unsubscribe button. Yeah. <laughs> like, can you do that? Can you hit an unsubscribe button? I think so. Oh, nice. it's the same one as the subscribe button, oh, you but can it's unsubscribe. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And then that's it. All right. Well, you maybe please don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> I'm not encouraging it, but I mean, at the very least, you know, we can, we can try to entertain and open up the door to some conversation, which Mm -hmm. we had a big talk before this one. And by the way, I'm just going to throw this out there if uh, you haven't heard us say it already, but you know, throw us some comments on the website and um, tell us what you want to hear us talk about, because we will talk about it. I mean, you know, we've been noticing that one of our biggest podcasts is number 11, I believe it is. It's uh, what to do when you don't feel like doing anything. And if you haven't listened to that one, go listen to it. It's probably one of our most popular currently, but I think it has a lot to do with motivation or lack of motivation. And, yeah. um, I think this is a struggle a lot of artists have. So well, at least people are clicking on it. So that's how we know. So it's a topic we've been kind of thinking about, okay, well, how do we integrate this a little bit more into these conversations? And if that's what you want, let us know. And if you want something else, let us know. Let us know. <laughs> so it's a not so serious Sunday. So this is going to be a random conversation in the beginning, and then we'll eventually find something out. If you read the title, you already know what we're going to talk about. We do not. Yeah. And that's the fun of this game. Yes. <laughs> it is a fun game. Yeah. Um, yeah. We had a pretty long talk before we started recording. I mean, not about any particular topic. We didn't talk about what we were going to talk no. about today. It was just a lot of goings on. Goings on. In well, the uh, world and uh, in Evan, our own lives and stuff. You wrote a book. You wrote a new draft of a book. Yep. That's pretty good. Yeah. 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 Finished, finished that on just a couple days ago. Yeah. Second draft. Of so how was the rewrite? It was way easier than the first, than the first draft. Yeah. And I, and I completely started from, from a blank page. Like I didn't reuse it. Yeah. I basically just had like the physical copy of the first draft in front of me and I would before I would start rewriting the chapter, I would read the chapter that I had written and then I would go, okay. And I'd put it away. Or if there was something that was in it that I was like, Ooh, you know what? That still really resonates with me. I still really like that. I'm going to find a way to incorporate this idea. 
Um, but for the most part, it it was completely rewritten, hmm. completely, um, and it was way easier than that first draft. That's just awesome. so much easier. It was just like much less resistance. I found myself coming up against. It was just like, all right, let's down, let's write another chapter. Cause that's how I did it. It was just, it wasn't like, okay, I'll write however many pages. It was like, I'll write the next chapter. Yeah. And however long that's going to be. And some of the chapters were a little longer than others. Some of them are, were kind of short, but it was what they needed to be. At yeah. least I felt so. Yeah. Now it's in a, it's in a process. I'm going to give it to a few people who I trust, which I guess you're included in that. Well, thanks yeah. man. <laughs> <laughs> Just to get some, uh, some feedback on it. And because I want to read your damn book. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do want to read it. I yeah. can <laughs> it out a bit. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I'm, I'm, I mean, I know there's some stuff that upon the completion of it, I thought I was like, Oh yeah, I want to make sure I get this in there. But I'm already jotting that down. It's like, okay, I'll make sure that this makes it into the next, into the next draft of it. And then I'll get some feedback from people. And because the subject matter is something that's, I mean, I know there's people who are (laughs) more well versed with some of the concepts that I'm talking about than even necessarily I am. Uh, so I'm hoping that they'll be able to help me like flesh things out or point out some key things that they feel I may have may or may not have missed. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, and also, I mean, it's, you know, uh, you kind of followed a couple of writing principles that I always share about screenwriting is get the first thing done, get the first draft done, you know, just get it done, get it out of the way. Cause once it's done, it's complete. And then you can kind of work with it. Yeah. And then you did another thing, which I always tell writers is be willing to rewrite the entire thing from scratch and erase everything. And I've talked about this on earlier podcasts, yeah. but it sounds like you did that. And I mean, I, you know, it's funny because most writers will say, well, I can't erase the whole thing. I did all this work, but that's ego yeah. talking. No. Right? And this is actually the first time I have done that. Oh really? Like, you know, I've, I have completely like in screenwriting, completely rewritten scenes and stuff before, but I'm still using like a, a copy of, you know, the, the previous draft to, to work from. Right. And this was the first time where I completely started with a blank page again. Good for you. To, to get out. And, uh, yeah, and I enjoyed liked it. it. <laughs> I did enjoy it, but there is, there's that, there's definitely that voice that enters in there. It's like, well, what about all this work that we did? <laughs> like we did all this work. Like we wrote all this stuff. It was so difficult. And it's like, well, it wasn't that difficult. And then I don't know. I, I don't even know how to explain it exactly. It was just this time with writing. It was just such a, um, much easier process. I don't know why exactly that, that is. I didn't have any sort of, um, (laughs) any sort of like uh, a plan or a method in which I was going to make this easier to do. Maybe it's just some of the things that we've been talking about, you know, on the podcast and things I've been learning have just sort of settled in. And now there's, it was, it just felt so much more effortless to do the work this time around. Yeah. Like it was like still the biggest effort is usually getting 
down in front of it, like sitting down in front of the computer and typing it out and like just getting it open. Right. Um, but even that was less difficult to do this time around. Um, and then, but then the actual writing process itself, the actual act of writing it was so much easier. Mm -hmm. Like I was way less sort of judgmental of myself and in the process of it, which is something that I'm, I'm working with, but I guess it probably is the things that we've been talking about here (laughs) where I'm getting like the, was, I think it was the last one. These podcasts are helping you. Yeah. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Yeah. That's good to hear. No, they, they have. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's, um, (laughs) like was, I don't know if it was our last podcast or if it was the one before, but we had this sort of, it, it was almost felt like a brand new discovery, even though we've actually touched upon this before, but this whole thing of, of really giving the, the creator or the artist, the room, mm. you know, she's like, no, I have to give that, like the writer, the creator, the room to just do it and not, and not like edit this thing all the way through it. Even though I, I did, there were moments where I was kind of like editing some of the stuff as I was going, but it was never like a painstaking thing. It was always something that like popped into my awareness at the moment. It was like, Oh, I'm going to switch the order of these sentences. And it was like, boom, boom, or whatever. It was something that occurred just naturally. Mm. So it wasn't me. It wasn't me being like, how does this sound? Does this sound okay? And blah, blah, blah. blah. And it was like, it was I was going, I was just moving and it's like, Oh, this would be better here. Oh, okay. And then that was how kind of, there was a little bit of editing going on, Yeah. but not to a degree in which it was stunting me, Mm. which is what happens when you really let that editor and that, that part of your brain enter the creative process. I think as long as you're not polishing, I no, think, I think as long as you're not polishing, you're fine. I, I think where the editor becomes a nuisance is when, when the editor side of you starts to polish, because I think the editor that's going, Oh no, this makes more sense is a better order is actually helping the creator, um, have flow, yeah. you know? And I think that, um, you know, the editor is always going to kind of like, I almost, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, Tony Robbins has this exercise. You can do it with your memories and stuff, which is <laughs> really powerful but you can take the editor, like, cause we talked about this in our last podcast, how it's like you we're actually talking more about the internal side of artistry and industry. Yeah. But if you were to look at your artist as a person inside your head and you looked at your industry person as like a person inside your head and you make the room like really, really, really big. Like you're in this giant gymnasium of a room. And in one corner you got the, you got the creative and he's sitting there typing away on the computer, creating da 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 da, And you're with him. You're like right there next to him, kind of watching him work. Right. And then you got the industry guy, but you put him on the other side of the gymnasium, like really, really far away. And so every once in a while he's like, Hey, the order could be a little different. Yeah. <laughs> but he's like, he's so far away. He's like not really involved. Yeah. So he's not like whispering in your ear. You're like, yeah, yeah. Okay. You're like, you're way out there. So it doesn't yeah, matter. Not like breathing on your neck. Exactly. Like, yeah. Oh, what are you doing there? Huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, uh, like if you bring him super oh, is that, close. Yeah. <laughs> is that, is that the correct punctuation? Oh, I don't know. Could we find another word for that? Yeah. That's, mm, <laughs> 
<laughs> he's just, mm-hmm. and yeah. you're just like, and then your creative part is just sitting there, just being like, <sighs> yeah, shut oh. the fuck up, <laughs> seriously, like get out of here, just get. Out of here, yeah, and let me do this thing. It's not perfect. I get that. Mm-hmm. It's not supposed to be perfect. It's totally. supposed to be the raw material that we're going to create this from. But we need to get the raw materials out first. <laughs> yeah, right. Like it's you really do. Like you can't. You can't. You know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I was gonna see if I could. My mind was gonna figure out some sort of an analogy or a metaphor, and it just it failed me there. Yeah. But yeah, it's it is. It's like that. It's you've just got to get those ideas out, as we've right. talked about so many times before. You got to get the the raw source <clears throat> out on the page or in the music or in the recording or something. Whatever it is you do, that's got to be there first, mm-hmm. because that that you can lose. Right. I feel like that's something that like, if you don't jump on that thing, you, you might miss the boat totally because that's kind of the way that creativity works, right? Like when it's, when it's moving and it's flowing, it's flowing. And if you're not in the flow, it's going to, it's going to, it keeps flowing, Yeah. but it's going to, it's, you're going to miss it. Yeah. It's going right? to so you you've got just like, you've got to put it down. Yeah. You got to get it down. And then later you can, because all that editing stuff, all that industry stuff, you can do that at any time. Right. Because, but you can never, it can never replace that source material that you need at the beginning. No, the yeah. source material is so key. I mean, so many times I mean, I've had, I've had, um, writers ask me like, do you start by like organizing your whole script first or what's your process? You know, I find a lot of the time, it actually is usually one scene. There's one thing, there's like this nugget and it's like yeah. something that just, um, like, um, some scene or something, it's a visual or it's experience. I don't know how to describe it, but I have that in my mind and the whole story or the whole thing I'm about to write is based on that one idea. And then everything kind of gets built around that. Not like I, and I might not even necessarily write that scene first, but I have that real vivid thing in my mind. And I kind of base a lot of the decisions I make out of that one experience. And so I think creativity is a little bit like that. It's like you get this thing and it's for some reason it it makes sense. And I remember, uh, you know, when it was the burning blues project, which, you know, is this, um, undercover cop story that's, you know, (laughs) been, been a really amazing process. But part of what got that script going was I just remember having this this whole idea of this undercover cop and this relationship with his wife and his kid. And just like, I kind of had this, um, I don't even really know how to describe the scene, but it was this experience of like being like, he, he still was in love with her, but you know, he loved his kid, but their relationship wasn't working out. And it was just really, yeah, that that was it. And then I was like, I'm going to base a whole story on this, Yeah, (laughs) you know? And like, and this whole thing came out of it, which is, it, you know, in some ways you might not even realize that that's the main kernel that it came from, but yeah, I think that's how it works, you know, and you can't have the editor going, well, that's stupid. Like every, everybody's doing that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you always gotta get, I don't know if it's good. Well, how stupid we make this voice because it is a stupid voice. It is a stupid voice. And but, I think, uh, you know, when you work your mind creatively, I think you need to do that sometimes. I think you need to give your, uh, you know, voices to, and, and almost a character to, to these things that hold you back. Like, if your editor is always getting in the way, like make them like this little whiny little like person that you can just easily squash. 
So like, um, I think that you should put a question mark. You know, like, yeah. and so that way you're like, get out of here. You're, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and like, okay, <laughs> not don't make them someone that's like dominating you because yeah. if in your mind this thing that's holding you back is dominating you, and the, that's the way you're experiencing it, it's going to dominate you. But you know, you're in control. You made it all up anyway, so yeah. you might as well. You know, yeah. but I think it's fun to kind of play with the voices. Actually, you did this one thing. Um, and I think I do this a lot since you did this, but we were walking along the street. It was after one of our podcasts and, uh, story time with Brandon. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were walking along the podcast and we were just, we had to talk about the ego and whatever. And we were talking about the ego and you were like, the ego is like this guy that's like walking around and he's like right there. He's like, you can't do that, man. Like, holy crap. And it's like constantly just going like, you can't go do that. Like, what, what if she says no, yeah. you know, and what's going like, to happen? And you just like, you, you were acting yeah. it out, but you did it so well. And you're like, you were just like, you just got to turn that guy and you just like, chill the fuck out, dude. Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> relax. Like, you know what I mean? And you gotta like, you gotta make this ego. Like, you gotta go like, get out of here. You're not welcome right now. You yeah. know, it's like, and you gotta almost like personalize this stuff so you can get a little bit of a hold on it and be like, I'm not going to let you run the show right now. This is, yeah. this is, I'm, I'm here, I'm doing this. So you, you want to join in and help you can, but like your opinion doesn't matter right now. Yeah. <laughs> no, they often like, that's uh, <laughs> they often talk about doing that in all sorts of, um, like creative courses and therapies and yeah. stuff like that. Or it's like, give it, give it like a, a face, mm-hmm. give it a voice, like what, like give it a symbol to you of that, that voice right. that's always just like putting fear and doubt and unworthiness into you. Cause that's all it does. It's just like, it just pumps you full of that shit, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and not being good enough. And it's like, you've got it like, you know, giving it a sort of a personification or, a or just some, sort of an image that you can grab onto so that it's not this mysterious invisible thing anymore. Like you can give it an identity right? and it gives you an, an ability to give it its place and right. to shove it aside and to know what it, when it's stepping in. Right. But you can I, do that with a lot of stuff. You can do that with feelings too. Like when you, when you feel anger, like I, a personal course I did, personal growth course I did, they were talking about that. Like what's the anger feel like? What is it? Right. And you can, you can take it even further and, uh, you can identify it and you can, you can, the more that you make it something you can kind of like grasp and it's not elusive anymore, you can start to go, Oh, okay, this is this thing. And then you can kind of move it around you mm-hmm. know, place it, you know, do what you want with it. And like, you can, you can take away it's, it's like force, you know, like, uh, um, it becomes, it becomes just this thing that you like can kind of, uh, you know, package and move around and sort out. Um, and I, I want to cut you off, but like Tony Robbins in, in his book, Awaken the Giant Within, there's this thing where he talks about memories and he talks about these memories that haunt you from the past. And like, you know, um, my, my dad never loved me. And then, you know, he never took me to that baseball game on to go to or whatever thing that happened. Right. Yeah. And you have this memory and you go and he took my brother, he took my sister and you know, they left me behind and, and, and I've always felt like I wasn't good enough because he never asked me if I wanted to go with them or blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I'm making this stuff up entirely, yeah. but this is someone's story. Right. And so I have this story. So he goes, well, I want you to take this memory and I want you to imagine it with like no color, just take all the color out of it. And then what I want you to do is I want you to make it really, really, really small and then move it really, really far away from you. Like take it in your mind and move it really, really far away from you. Give it a really like, like funny voice. Like, 
my dad never took me to a baseball game. <laughs> and so yeah. it becomes silly to you. And then what is happening is you start to identify this memory. And the thing is, is we have these amazing minds. We don't actually remember what happened. We remember remembering what happened. Yeah. And the so last that, time we exactly. remember it. Yeah. So this is the beauty. When you change the, the memory, you remember remembering it that way. So you remember, so you don't remember it from that, like when you were like that seven year old kid and you felt really hurt, you remember oh, that's it, interesting. you remember it as this adult who was making it silly. Yeah. And so you don't have the same experience of it anymore. Now it's kind of like, yeah, it may not have been great, but it doesn't affect you the same way anymore. And you're, yeah. you're kind of free of it. It's really cool. It's almost like a little, like one of those old brain hacks. Yeah. It's, like a, brain hack. it's yeah, a good exactly. brain hack. Yeah. <laughs> or it's like to transform your perspective on it. Cause that doesn't mean that that will necessarily change entirely how you feel about it, but it can change somewhat of your relationship to it. And it can change um, the kind of control it has over you. Yes. Which is the most important thing. Cause I think most people feel very victimy to their memories and their, that particularly their painful ones. Yeah. And when you start to not feel a victim to them, you start to feel and recognize you're in control of them that you kind of are making them like impact you, yeah. you kind of become free of them because you go, Oh, well, I don't want that much impact from this memory. Meanwhile, that moment that you had with this person you love and you enhance that and you just bring more color to it, bring it really close, smell it. What is it like? And you bring that right into your reality. Then that love that you say have for your partner can become more rich yeah. as opposed to like what people sometimes do is they actually take these memories, these great memories when they started dating someone and they make those the small distant ones. And then what they do is they remember these, Oh, well, you know, he told me to took a, take out the trash or whatever. And that's not my job. That's his job. And he's a jerk, you know, and he didn't pay yeah. for this or she didn't do this or, you know, whatever. And you start bringing these painful memories really close and the really good ones really far away. But you did that. Like they aren't far away. You can change the order of them. Right. And so our experience of life, these brain hacks is if you want to call them that th- we're in control of that. So yeah. we don't have to be victim to man to anymore. Yeah? yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think for me, like one of the biggest things I've learned about, especially like with past, like the only real function that I see of the past is to be released to, to release it. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much the only, especially when it comes to like the stuff that, you know, the, the painful things <clears throat> that we hang on to, right. Because by hanging on to those, to our pains from our past, we actually guarantee we will continue it in the future. Right. And we never actually get out of it. We never break out of our patterns. We never, you know, like we never let these things go and they just pollute they just pollute our minds and, and everything. And, and that has a huge impact to us uh, as, as artists. I mean, as people, absolutely. And how we're just functioning day to day, but, um, as artists and as creators, like we hang on to like past, especially like our past sort of quote unquote failings, um, as artists or the success we never had or whatever the, yeah. the person who screwed me, the person who beat me out for this, that, teacher who said that to me or the director who said that to me, whatever, right? Like you hang on to these things and, and you know, you keep telling yourself that story of the stuff and you just, all you do is you, is you guarantee the continuation of that into your future. Right. And then it's, and it's just an ongoing cycle and you're just giving power to that voice that we've been talking about. That's mm-hmm. just like, that's just shitting all over you all the time. <laughs> which is like, you can't, you can't create, you can't create like 
not just good art. You just can't create any kind of art when you're just like shitting all over yourself. Totally. Constantly. But I want to go back to what you're getting into, but like that point of inspiration and whatever, like the, like the idea that you have, because that's, I've gone about trying to write, I've got halfway through a script (laughs) that I, I'm like, I had this idea for it. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's really cool. That's a cool idea. Right. And, (laughs) and I started writing and I got halfway through and I'm like, I just don't give a shit Mm. about this story. Like I just, I didn't like, it was just cool. Mm. And that really only takes you to a certain, to a certain part. I, I'd done like a, an outline for the thing. Like I put this stuff together, but it just, it didn't have any kind of polar weight to it. So it's like, this was something I want to touch on is that point of inspiration that you had for the burning blues. Like, yeah, you get this image in your head and it's not like a contrived thing that happened. It's like, whereas the thing that I did was a little bit contrived and you run out of steam. If, if you're like, I think that they, that idea has to have an emotional pull Mm. beyond just being cool. I agree. Right. Yeah. And, um, and cause I can relate to when I wrote, um, my script on the highway, which we're going to shoot next year. Yeah. Yeah. Excited about it. Um, I had no story. I had no story really other than I imagined these two guys didn't know each other are just kind of like floating in their lives and they get in a Volkswagen bus and they, and they just drive through British, British Columbia. Like that was it. It was just the image of like, a couple of dudes in this van, like driving through the mountains. Like that was, that was it. Right. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck happens to them. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what they do. You know, I had just like a sense of like, I had just a sense of it, you know, like how it would feel, how it would move, how it would, but just these images and the script really just was a, a labor of love the whole way through. Hmm. It's interesting. I, I, you know, I, <clears throat> I think you're, I mean, well, I'm, I remember reading that first script and it was on the, highway, the first draft it was long, <laughs> but it was 140 pages, wasn't it? Yeah. It was somewhere around there. Yeah. Yeah. It was long. <laughs> 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 it didn't feel that long to be honest. Um, that's a good thing. Uh, now what is it? What's it? 110? We're going to try and get down. Yeah. Oh, it's like 112 home. pages. I think. Was so we'll try to get down here probably before we shoot. But, um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I remember reading it and there was a couple things that I, I remember I was like, oh yeah, like the, these were my key notes, like to change a couple things. But, um, I remember it left this real impact with me. And I was like, you know, when I, when a story does that and like I walk away from it and I'm still thinking about it and I was, and I, and I, bang my head against the wall, trying to like, not literally, but bang my head against the wall, trying to figure out what did you do in this script or what happened in the script? Why am I thinking about it? Why am I still feeling something? And I, I think that was it. I mean, it, it did have this, like the way you just described it, it had this, um, it had a certain kind of heart to it, you know? And 
I think I walked away from it. And I, I feel like it's every draft that's been done. It's, it's more and more, um, it's getting more and more refined. It's getting closer to that, which is really cool. Um, so, and I do think it's an emotional thing. And I think like I ended up writing this cr- criminal thriller, which I don't know what it's even going to look like now because we're even doing a whole new draft. I mean, yeah, I could literally make three different movies out of this thing at this point for sure. <laughs> um, but, and I'm most excited about the newest draft, but it all really started out of an undercover cop, his kid and his, um, crumbling marriage. And that was really where the story started all this other stuff that's been going on, which is really like what will probably sell the story and how it will be marketed and kind of makes all these external things occur. Um, that's all kind of dressing. It's all kind of like, you know, um, but at the core, it's really about these people. And, uh, mm-hmm. I think maybe with your story that you've kind of considered abandoning, abandoning, which you, you technically haven't yet, but, um, I think what you need to do is you need to link in to the ver- that very thing. I think you need to link into something emotional because yeah, yeah I, that's actually when it, cause I've written coverage on a lot of scripts and, uh, and you know, so often like, um, all right, you're trying to be cool, trying to be cool. Stop trying to be cool here. Just like, let's just, just fucking yeah. talk, you know, stop trying to say the right thing or like, you can just see it. It's yeah. like false. It's cliche and it's bullshit. And you know what, when the writers uh, apply it, they, 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 you know, they, they usually go, okay, they get it. Um, but you know, it's being cool. It's, it's, uh, I think it's like, a. I I think it's an interesting thing because it, it has a purpose. It, it helps. Cause I remember when you were telling me the idea and I'm like, yeah, it does sound pretty cool, but <laughs> yeah, it just didn't go deeper in that. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't read it, but no, I mean, and the thing was, was that it, like the thing it's, it started with cool, but it didn't have, um, really an emotional, like a deeper emotional impact on me, like upon like the inception of the idea. Yeah. Right. The idea was just like, Oh, that's cool. And practical, you know, it'd be one location. It would be like, it was just like, it was entering it. Like these were, these are not bad things about it, but it was just, that's not really the place you want to be starting from, Hmm. you know, as, far as like that point of inspiration goes and all of the sort of, because I still, there was, there is my inclination towards like, yeah, but I want to tell like a, like an emotional like story, right? Like a real human story within this cool idea. Yeah. And it was, it was sort of like me then trying to like conjure up some sort of an emotional compelling story that, that was kind of like in this cool, but it was still, it just like, I never was able to find that within it, you know? And maybe if I revisit it, because like I said, the idea was pretty cool, but (laughs) (laughs) like, it's a cool idea. You know what it sounds to me like? It sounds like your industry brain, the industry side of your brain was inspired, Yeah, but the artist wasn't. And so then you, the industry part of yourself was like, yeah, man, write this. And the artist was like, yeah, okay, I'll write that. And then the artist sat down and started writing. It was like, it's like, wait, what are we writing? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, why am I doing it? What is this? Exactly. Like it's, and, um, (laughs) and I mean, there's, there's maybe some, I'll still probably revisit that. Cause it was all, it was always meant to be like a short script. Anyhow, like it was going to be, and then it turned into a feature. Like, well, I mean, it was always going to be a feature, but like a really short feature like 60 to 70 minutes probably. Oh, okay. 
So, you know, it's interesting. Uh, it's not far off from the experience of being hired to write it, you know, yeah. being hired to write. I actually, you know, before I like, and I still run into little challenges being hired to write. It's really interesting, but it's like, I, I always thought it would be the same as when I chose to write something myself. Like when you wrote on the highway, you weren't hired to write it. You just wrote it. Cause you're like, Oh, I'm telling a story. Yeah. And there's something really like pure and honest and truthful. And it's just, I don't know. It's like natural. But when you get hired to write something, especially when it's like not your story, like you didn't conceive of it, yeah. you get hired and you get pitched on the idea and then you got to write what was conceived by someone else. It's a totally different beast because maybe it's not, I don't know, but it's interesting. I've definitely run into blocks where I've been like, why am I even writing? Like, like I know I'm writing this to get money because I said <laughs> I would, but there's this weird disconnect. And like one of the things I've had to work on, um, especially with this most recent script was just like, no, I need to, I, I, like, I just, re- I had a realization. I'm like, I'm writing this for everybody else. I'm writing this for the producer. I'm writing this for all these other people. And I'm not really writing it for me. Yeah. And it's, and, and when I sit down to write it, I'm like, I have to write it. I'm like, well, you got paid and, and you want to get paid the rest of your money. You better finish it. And you know, whatever. And it's like, I'm like beating myself into writing it. I'm like, I don't like it. I haven't been liking it. Yeah. And so, uh, I had this realization. I was like, I need to take a moment here and I need to figure out why I want to write this story. And it sounds so simple, but I was really not writing it with my connection to it. Yeah. And once that changed, I can tell you, man, I sat down and pages just started flowing you know out what? of me. <laughs> it was crazy. I think, I think <laughs> I, I don't want to like, you know, limit to where this conversation is going to go, but I think that this is what we're talking about today. Oh, this might is have nailed it. about our, the meaningful connection that we have to our work. <clears throat> how just like how important that is and how often, like how we can neglect it, how we can overlook it, mm-hmm. you know, like we'll, we'll focus on all these other elements, which again, they aren't, there's nothing inherently wrong with having a certain practical, um, look at how some of these things will work and why they'll, they will work, but you need to have that a real sense of deep personal, meaningful connection to the material that you're creating, You do like something yeah. that is emotional, something that is like actually in you. Um, because that's almost like with this last draft of the book that I did that I just finished was, I mean, the first draft, like, yeah, I did have a connection to it, but there was still very much a part of me. It was like, okay, well, um, like, but what is this book really about? You know, like, what am I really like? How am I really going to write this? How am I really going to manage saying all of this stuff? So there's all of these things that were kind of rattling around in my head. And this last time it was like, it was, I just had a real sense of, of purpose within it, a real connection to what I was writing. And, and also a connection to that. I was in many ways writing it just as much for myself as I was writing it for, you know, the audience that I want to it to eventually get in the hands of. Right. But it's, it still was very important personally to me to write it and not just for 
something later on down the road or for some other person. I mean, Elizabeth Gilbert talks about that in her book, Big Magic. She's like, I write everything like just as much for me. And she's like, and that's important. Like everything should have something in it for you. Like you should be getting something out of it. Like, cause otherwise, you know, it's, and it's not a selfish thing to do. Like if you're not getting anything out of it, then what's the point in doing that either? Right. Like it's great to give and to, and to share and to have other people benefit. Like that's, I'm not going to argue with that at all. I think that that is kind of what we're here to do. It's like the, the best thing for us to do, but we, how can, I don't think that we can achieve that without ourselves being personally really deeply invested in what we're, in what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's good, man. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's true. It's fine. That meaningful connection to your work, man. I, I like that. It's, it's not just in writing, it's in acting and it's in building a business. If you don't have a meaningful connection to why you're doing it, if you're just doing it because, Oh, I think I'll do this because I can make a lot of money and whatever. If you don't have a meaningful connection to it, when the work gets difficult, it's going to be too difficult, you know? And I think that's why people abandon scripts. I think that's why people, you know, don't live out their dreams because they don't allow themselves to connect to that meaningful connection. And, um, I was thinking about, you know, as you're talking to us, thinking about this podcast, I'm like, yeah, actually in one of our early ones, we said, we're like, yeah, if no one ever listens to this thing, we're still going to do it anyway. Cause we're yeah. getting so much out of it. And I think, yeah, every, I, I, I always look forward to these podcasts. I mean, I'm just, I always walk away with something from these that helped me. I was joking earlier when I was like, you got something out of this. I was like, no, but it's like, I always get something out of this and, um, I look forward to it. And I'm glad that if other people get something out of it too. And, uh, you know, and there's this part of me that really does want to help other people. But I think if I, if, if, if I was leaving this feeling vacant, I don't know how many of these we would do. Yeah. You know, we've done 80 plus now. This might be our 83rd. Is it? I don't know. But like, we've done a lot of these and we're going to, and we're planning on doing a hell of a lot more. Um, and so I think the only reason that anyone would sit down and, and do this like twice a week and just commit. It's not because we're like, Oh yeah, let's make a lot of podcasts. Cause then if we have a lot of episodes, everyone's going to watch. I mean, it's not really about that. I mean, I, I think that the, the amount that we've done is just the product of how much we both been getting out of it. Well, yeah. at least for me, I mean, I can say for myself, I've been showing up because I'm like, I can't wait to have this talk because I'm like, I take these things that we discuss and I apply it immediately, you know, and this is going to help me I'm going to take this away. I know this, this podcast uh, episode, I know I'm going to take it away and I'm going to, it's going to help me to write my, my next scripts that I'm going to write. And if I get disconnected, I'm going to, I'm going to turn this episode back on and I'm going to listen to it again. And that's the beauty of it, you know? And so I think that's the thing about you write this book. You're, you're, you're exploring it and you're finding out yourself and your ego wants you to already know. You know, your ego wants you to already have all the answers. Cause I remember when you were first writing, it's like, you don't know who are you to write a book on this shit. You know? yeah, it's like, yeah. That's what your ego is always going to do. And it's like, you know, um, even writing a script is like that. It's like, well, who am I to write this script? You know, who like, you know, and there's a certain part of you that I think you just go, well, I'm going to find out, we're going to find out here. And your ego is just to kind of go like either you're on board for this. Like, this is the way I talk to my ego now. I'm just like, sounds a little crazy. Maybe we're all a little crazy. Yeah. But I talked to my ego like that. I'm like, buddy, you're either on board for this 
or you're not, but I'm doing it. So yeah. pick, pick a side. What do you want? <laughs> and I'm, usually he goes, like, okay, I'm on board. You know, it's like, yeah. but it's like, it's there as a, uh, I did this personal growth exercise, you know, whatever. And I said, I'm going to just make friends with my ego, you know, and I'm going to work with him if he's going to work with me. But if he's not working with me, he's fucking getting, he's left on the side of the road and I'm moving on. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, cause like, I'm not letting that part of me stop me anymore. You mm-hmm. know? And I think that that artist, they call it the ego death. I mean, you hear people talk about it all the time, Yeah. but the ego's kind of got to die and not literally cause you're never going to get rid of your ego, but it's kind of got to like have no power and you're kind of like, but you also got to like, in my opinion, you kind of got to love it at the same time. Yeah. Cause you're like, well, cause it's kind of like a misguided little, yeah, <laughs> you know, misguided little something. Yeah. No, I was going to say buddy, but I'm like, he's not really a buddy. He's just like a misguided little shit. Yeah. You know, like you tag along. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> but it's like, you know, having, having that deep personal investment into something, into, into your work where it's so important to you personally, like whether you get something out of it or not, you're just like, it doesn't matter. Like it's, I think that's the, and and not necessarily that that has to be the point where you start from, but if you don't have that sort of feeling when you're getting into something, it's important that you, you find that connection to what it is because you really do need that to keep you going for like when it gets a little bit tough, but also I think it removes a lot of the problems that you will face just getting up to do it every mm-hmm. single day. Like I, like I said, writing this second draft is one of the easiest things I've ever written. You know, even though it's like I, in some ways, like I feel like there was, I had a sense of like just how important, like it felt like I was doing something that was so important as I was writing it. And there's kind of a pressure with that, but in a way I didn't really let that pressure phase me just because I'm like, no, this is like, I've got to, I, I'm just got to write this. Like, this is important for me to be doing this. I'm, I'm connected to it. I'm invested into this. And then everything was able to just like, I was able to just brush all the shit off. Like it wasn't a big thing anymore. The obstacles were not big, Hmm. you know, they were just sort of like, it was, they were just sort of glancing off of me, right? Like barely even noticing them. And I think that that's just like, we've got to find that connection. You can't see that. I'm like hitting my hand here. Like he's making a point. point. (laughs) You gotta, you gotta do it. (laughs) You gotta know. Um, You gotta know. So, uh, well, this is good, man. Um, let's introduce the beer. Yeah. Uh, this I, is, uh, your, uh, this is one of my your selection today. I really like the name of this one. I have been enjoying it before you, uh, before you say who it is or anything, because uh-huh. I don't want people to think that we're, we play any kind of favorites with breweries. Cause I feel like some breweries we just like, oh, I yeah. mean, I mean, we love all of them. Like we've, I, we haven't ever really had a bad one. I don't think on like anything that we might just be sort of whatever about was just more so our own personal tastes and like what we kind of gravitate towards. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is, I'm surprised at how easy to drink this is. You poured this very dark looking beverage into the glass here and, uh, it's nice and dry and refreshing and yeah, I like it. I'm so going to be done 
all of it before we're even done this podcast because I've been enjoying it a lot too. It's from Strange Fellows. Okay. And I really like the name of this beer. It's called Noctorium Dark IPA. Yeah. It's really good. It's really it's good. It's definitely like the hoppiness is I, right I, there. Although I wouldn't have pegged it as an IPA. I wouldn't have either. I was actually surprised. The only reason why I th- like I actually had to double check. I'm like, Oh, this is an IPA. Oh, interesting. Cause it has a little bit of a hop, but like I, I find it's, 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 it's tame. I mean, it's not, I mean, if you're into the, a lot of hop, I don't know. I'd still give this a shot because it's really good and, um, it's easy to drink and it's, it's relatively light for being yeah. a dark beer. IPAs are usually like really heavy mouthfuls of beer that I find like it's, they don't go down super quickly, right. but this has been going down. Oh yeah. It's super smooth. It's been, we're like not even halfway through the podcast and it's, you know, probably, and it's, yeah. uh, you know, that's how we were almost done the beer. So that's a good sign. Strange fellows. You've done well. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, I, I think with all the beers, I mean, it's, you know, we're not here to be like beer raiders either. Like I don't, like I, I've never really gone yeah. out to this and been like, Oh yeah, this beer is better than this beer. I'm just like, no, this is a really good beer. Oh, good Have it. Fun, try uh, it out. Yeah. Give this one four stars. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I wouldn't say, uh, you know, that's been our goal. I think the beer is a tradition for the podcast. You know, we started having beers and having talks and that's how this goes. But we, we, we decided we'd try a new beer on every podcast and yeah, now we've tried about 80 something new beers. So and beers go well with the chat. <laughs> they do. So that's Noctorium Dark IPA from Strange Fellows. Well, excellent choice. Um, okay. So <clears throat> being connected, finding that meaning, we don't have to stay on that, but it seems like we've been kind of, you know, hovering around this actually. I'm seeing that this is what's connected. Some of what we've been talking about throughout this one. Well, I think it's a good topic. I mean, uh, you know, I think when it comes to industry and artistry, it relates because especially the more I'm finding, the more I get hired to write scripts and, and do that stuff the more that this is actually an important lesson for me to learn because it's, uh, you know, it's hard enough to write stuff on your own to be like, I want, I have this story and I want to write this story cause I think it would be good, but it's a whole nother thing to be hired to write a story or to coach someone else writing their story. It's, um, you know, you, you really got to have a meaningful connection because I mean, otherwise I think it all becomes kind of empty, you know? And I think the thing with doing, uh, I think in life, you know, we're, we're constantly looking for meaning and we're looking for purpose. And, um, you know, I think people, a lot of people, I, you know, I just think it's a common thing where people are working jobs, but they're not particularly connected to, they're doing things in their life where they're not particularly connected to They're They're kind of, um, you know, they don't, they're kind of just moving along and they're doing their thing and they don't have that meaning. And, And I think what we do is when we don't have that meaning is we tend to distract ourselves. We tend to numb ourselves out and try to just kind of feel good and feel comfortable. I think the thing about meaning and purpose is that you're willing to do the uncomfortable, painful things, the seemingly uncomfortable, painful things, because you're so connected that it's not difficult anymore. Like getting off your ass and stopping to watch television to start like working out or writing that script or, you know, working that scene or doing whatever it is that you want to do, making that movie, paint that piece of art, 
want to try and include everybody. Write that piece of music. Yeah. I want to include everybody. I don't know. There's so many other artists. Um, to, to, to get off the couch and do that is, is maybe not as comfortable, but when you have that meaning and purpose, sitting on the couch watching television is like almost not even an option anymore because you're like, no, I, I want to do this. I got, I got purpose. I got meaning behind me. And I think the thing that we're constantly battling with as, as artists is like, you know, we're constantly pressured to like succeed at industry. And we're like, well, if I'm not going to succeed at industry, what's the point? And all that does is it just kind of kills your, kills your own creative flow. And I can tell you this because being a hired writer, money does not motivate you. It's like, it really doesn't at first it does, but then you just need more. You just need, honestly, like it just becomes, it just becomes like an emptiness. And and I'm, I'm not saying like, I I still want to be paid as a writer. Like, don't get me wrong. But the thing is, is that I've been realizing that now, like what's more important than any of any of this stuff, whether the movie gets made, whether it succeeds, whether I get paid this amount or that amount, what's most important is that I find purpose Yeah. because I literally was struggling to write this script that I'm working on right now. I just like, I, I, I just didn't want to sit down. I wanted to do anything but write it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why? I, I thought I liked the story. And then I realized that I was writing it for everybody else, but me. And once I connected to why I'm writing it for me, yeah. I literally sat down and pages just poured out of me. I think that that's yeah. sort of the litmus test for whatever, I mean, whatever your art whatever your medium is. I mean, that is, that's the litmus test. Like the most simple one that I can think of at least right now is that you say like, would you still be doing this? Even if nobody was going to see this, hear this, pay money for this. Like if you would still write this or if you would still make this, if yeah, would you, you can- still show up to your nine to five job if no one was going to pay you? <laughs> there's a good litmus test. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> but that'll, I mean, for that'll, our, that'll put you in line yeah, whether you have purpose or not. Totally. <laughs> but I mean, for, for our work. And I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to have started from you. It, like if you're hired on, like the important thing is that you find that connection to it. You know, you've got to search that out. I think as an artist that becomes your priority then it's just like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. This isn't actually mine. This is not my idea you know, and maybe there's some things in issue you're like, okay, like there's some things about it. You've got to find it in you where it's just like, you know what, this, like, this is the story Mm. or this is the, this is the song. This is whatever, whatever you do and find that your own personal deep connection where you're like, you know what, screw everybody else. Like, yes, obviously inherently this is meant to go out there. Like that's just kind of built into it but you need to find within yourself that thing. That's just like, no, this is, this is, this is just as much for me Hmm. now at this point, I found out how this is just as much for me. I found the meaning in this. I found the message or the voice in this, that that is mine that I want to say, and I'm connected to it. Hmm. And I, because I think that if you don't have that, I mean, you're not going to, you're not going to have that success then even if you finish it, right? Like you're, it's going to probably be missing that something, you know, like that's those types of things. Like we can, we can sense when something is kind of false or when something was just sort of created out of that sense of cool or interesting, but there was no real heart behind it. Like we pick up on that. There's a quality to something. I feel like we've talked about that (laughs) in the podcast before, but there's, we, we pick up on that. 
as, as audience and as other people, like we can see that in art. We can just be like, you know, you'll see, I mean, not necessarily all the time, but you know, there, there's something where you just see it and you're just like, ah, it's like in your eyeballs and out your brain. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, yeah, it was neat, I guess. Right. Because there was just, there was, it lacked, it lacked that special something. And I think that that stems all the way back down to the person who created it and the connection and meaning that it had to them when they were making it. Mm -hmm. I think finding meaning and connection in yourself is one of the best, um, tools to actually help something work in industry. And I think that industry often overlooks that. I think industry wants things that it understands, um, not necessarily like things that it can see and measure, but you know, what, what industry doesn't really, um, kind of calibrate for is what was the actual meaning? What's the deeper message? And, you know, you look at these, um, you know, you look at these movies like, uh, you know, Arrival just came out, right? And um, it's doing really well. Um, and the box office is also rated like 90% of Rotten Tomatoes and whatnot. And lots of people love it. And some people, you know, I heard some people like, like don't see it. It's a total waste of time. Slow piece of shit. You know what I mean? Right? <laughs> <laughs> so other people are like, wow, it was like the most profound thing. Like it was crazy, right? Um, you know, uh, and um, anyway, I... I think the thing is, is that not everybody's going to hear your message. Not everybody's going to hear yeah. the impact. And, and I'll tell you honestly, like I saw it. And if you're looking for like an action movie with like, you know, um, all this kind of external stuff to happen, that's not a movie for you. You're not going to really enjoy it. If you want to just be kind of like visually wowed and yeah. you want to leave. It's and you not don't Independence th- Day. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. It's not Independence Day. You don't want to really think you just kind of want to eat popcorn. You want to leave probably not going to like this movie, but if you're someone that's like looking for like maybe a, a little deeper understanding of humanity, a little bit deeper understanding of life, yeah. and you want to actually think this movie could be quite profound for you. The thing is, is that I think industry doesn't always know that like how to calibrate for this stuff. So, you know, you'll see some of these movies that get made and, and they get made a lot. They're usually called a B movie yeah, yeah, yeah. and they have all the visuals you would think that would make a movie be good, but they have no depth, no meaning, no whatever. And they just, no one cares because it doesn't matter because a crappy movie that has a real great message underneath can sometimes be a big hit. Whereas like a, uh, you know, or, or not necessarily a message, but some type of real connection, you know, mm-hmm. like Napoleon dynamite was kind of like that in a weird way. Yeah. Like it was such a, it was such a weird kind of movie. And like, and a lot of people are like, oh, the movie's such crap. But the thing is, is like someone actually kind of when, when they created that kind of connected to this weird, like little subculture of like, you know, kind of like the losers of the world, you know, yeah. that way and like almost made them heroes. And it was kind of neat that way. Well, they tried to make another show, which I, I you know, I don't want to slam the creators of it. And it's not my goal here, but they tried to make like haters back off, which was kind of a copy of Napoleon Dynamite's the same style. They tried to stylize the same. They tried to make the same type of character, same idea, mm-hmm. but it lacked a certain kind of like, um, deeper message, deeper meaning. It wasn't new. It didn't have any profound kind of thing in it. And it was like, almost like they were trying to make Napoleon dynamite, but a little bit different as though Napoleon dynamite, the style of that would work. And that's kind of what industry I think tries to do, but they broke principles of like, you know, the characters were despicable. Like they were, you just didn't like them. And so you couldn't really attach to them. And so there's like, 
you know, you're not going to, it kind of lacked, it, it just lacked this depth to it, yeah. which I really enjoyed Napoleon Dynamite. And I watched the whole thing of haters back off and it's rated one star on Netflix out of <laughs> five, just to give you an idea. Right. But the thing is, is that there's, and it's, and, and you know what? And I don't doubt that all the actors and everybody really brought their best, but there's something like there was kind of this underlying kind of lacking in it. Right. Yeah. And also some story principles were broken. I don't know. You could argue that that was the reason. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Usually there's, as we've discovered just through our conversations here, it's like, it's usually all, a lot of those things are symptoms of, of a deeper thing, not being there or not being figured out. Right. Um, I like how you put that. Yeah. There's symptoms. There are these symptoms that you can kind of identify, but I think, yeah, there was something missing deep down at the core which created those symptoms. Yeah. It's like, it was me missing a sort of a a genuineness about it or in, you know, what is missing for me actually, now that I think about it. And if you, if you're watching haters back off is just watch it as an educational process. Um, you know, maybe you like it, but, uh, but, uh, watch it and you'll start to see that I think they didn't have, they lacked empathy and compassion for the main characters, the uncle and the daughter. It, it kind of had a judgment on them. Like you were, Mm. it it judged them in the actual show and, and we're already judging them. Like we judge Napoleon Dynamite, right? But we have this weird kind of empathy for him. We're like, yeah, but he means well, like he's, he's like kind of, yeah, he was kind of (laughs) in this shitty situation and like his uncle was like kind of an ass, but even we had empathy for the uncle. I yeah. Feel, I mean, he was like, this, like wanted to be this football yeah, star. He was this you know? faded guy who just kind of <laughs> seemed sad and everything. Yeah. And, and Napoleon was kind of caught in the middle of this and, and yeah, there was like a weird brothers it, taken off. Like he's totally, yeah, <laughs> there was this interesting empathy for it. And I think that's why it worked. Whereas like haters back off the main characters, you don't, it, this show kind of judged them in and of yeah. itself. And it didn't connect you with the empathy of them. There was only one moment and it's actually this really brilliant moment, but they didn't back it up and justify it. I'm, I'm not ruining the show, but there's this moment where the audience is laughing at her and she basically goes, why can't I be loved? And, and it fucking hits everybody. But then it's quick, quickly wiped away. It's this really great moment. It's this one moment, which is beautiful. And like, if the whole show is based on that, if they came from that core place, like I, if I was to write the show, I write the entire show from that yeah. scene and I would rewrite the entire show with that playing underneath the entire yeah, time. You need to be rooting for your character. Even right. like, it's like, you know, we've talked about something like breaking bad yeah. for some reason you're just, you're rooting for Walter. <laughs> yeah. Like he's doing, he's, just heinous. he's so despicable, but you're rooting for him. Yeah. Cause you get it through. Though. You get his struggle. Yeah. The struggle is real. Yeah. Evan. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I think it's so true. I mean, it doesn't mean that you can't go again with something like say like, Hey, you know, whatever happened to like, remember Napoleon dynamite and that comedy You're doing it again. Owen Wilson again <laughs> in that comedy. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Um, but you know, we, we can take these points of inspiration. That's another podcast that we did a little while ago. Like it was like inspiration versus stealing or something like that. I can't remember the nice. exact title of it. Um, but you can look at something like a Napoleon dynamite and say, Hey, whatever happened to those, to that style of comedy? Like that was so good. It was such a hit. It was such a sensation. It's like, okay, you know, you can use that as a point of inspiration, but you still have to create the material from a genuine connected place as opposed to just trying to do like, 
make Napoleon Dynamite, but make it look different enough so that people don't say it's Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah. Um, and maybe they just didn't find that within it. But something I recently watched again was, um, American Pie. Now, bear with me, <laughs> because one of the reasons why, for, first and foremost, it holds up in this really kind of great way, and I'll explain why, but the original writer for it, he wrote, I think, the first draft for American Pie in his like screenwriting class in college or university, and it was part of sort of his thesis, or I can't remember exactly, but it was part of his project that he had to do this. And he said, Hey, whatever happened to movies like Porky's, you know, if, and if anyone remembers Porky's like that is just an absolute classic of late night comedy perfection. Um, but he said, whatever happened to that? So, but he didn't make another Porky's. He wrote this other script and I was, I was so delighted that American pie held up because I hadn't seen it in years. And it was a movie that just as a, when I was in high school and it came out, it was so near and dear to my heart. And there was a good reason for that. And it's because every character in that, you know, and it wasn't a perfect movie. It wasn't the most brilliantly acted movie or whatever, but there was something that was real about it. Like there was just something about, and each character was kind of like somebody that I kind of knew and some of that was kind of like me as well, right? Like not maybe entirely, but they all like Jim was somebody, Kevin was somebody, um, Ostriker was somebody, right? Even Finch was like, like <laughs> you could, there was something that I could relate to. There was something really heartfelt about it. even Stifler. Yeah. You know, you're just like, you know, he's such a cock, but you're, <laughs> you know, like it's just such a douchebag asshole, but there was just something about him that you just, you kind of loved about him. Yeah you know, and, and it's because there was something that was very real about it. I think that, yeah, while it was full of (laughs) just raunchy jokes and swearing and, you know, a bunch of guys just trying to get laid before they graduated high school, that was all the movie was about. It was about a bunch of guys who wanted to lose their virginity before they graduated. Mm -hmm. That was it. That was the whole movie. But it was just this like incredibly, and still is this incredibly like there's something so wonderfully relatable about the whole thing. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, and I would, you know, I would bring it back to my Napoleon dynamite argument that there was a certain kind of empathy for every character. You could kind of understand all their struggles. They all kind of made sense based on the people they were. And it's like, you didn't even, you didn't like Stifler. He was a cock in a way, but at the same time, you know, there was like, you're kind of glad he was there. (laughs) No, he's like, he's like, you love to hate him. You know, you love to hate him. And that's the beauty of it. And like, they nailed that. You know what I mean? And even with Napoleon Dynamite, the characters you kind of hate, you love to hate them. You know, like even the douche jocks in the movie, you're like, you know, there's kind of like, they were, you know, like, (laughs) like, like in the dance scene. I don't know. There was just kind of this, like this, it's just a weird dynamic, but like, I was going to say there's like a American, 
American Pie and Napoleon Dynamite, you know, they, be- they become iconic and they, and they, and they generate a style and now there's a style of movie. Yeah. And I think with like haters back off, they took the Napoleon Dynamite style, which is the industry and they did it pretty well. Don't get me wrong. They actually did a really good job of making it feel like a Napoleon Dynamite kind of experience. Yeah. But from industry, they didn't do it with the artistry. And I think that's what, like, it's like half, it's like someone with half a brain. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to just, I don't want to crap all over this and be a critic here. No, 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 no. Don't get me wrong. I mean, like, like I look at it, I was cheering for it. I wanted it to work. Yeah. I wanted it to work. And maybe for some, maybe it'll be a weird cult classic and maybe people will really like it. You know, I, I particularly, I found that it was not as engaging as I hoped it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it was very great. Like they took on a topic of like people who want to be famous, like for just for the sake of being famous and right. whether they have any talent or ability or not. And the whole thing about, you know, in North America right now where we have this ego culture, which is all based on like, I need to be important. And they tackled that issue and they really kind of confronted that. And I think it, it had so much good about it. Mm. But the problem is, is that you take away the heart and it's like, it's just, it's, it's lacking that depth, you know, it's lacking that empathy and compassion for the characters. And like, I, you know, when I saw it, I remember it came out on Netflix and like, at first it was, it was rated okay. You know, um, the first few people maybe saw it, started rating it high right away. Um, but then it went down to one star and I don't know if it's bounced back up. But, um, when I saw it at one star, I was like, Oh, what happened? Like, I was like, I thought this looked like it had high hopes. It looked, yeah. And then I watched it and I, you know, and I really tried to get that one star thing out of my mind and I watched it and I was like, I, you know, immediately and, and anyone who watched it immediately, you'll find that the main characters, they're mean and they're cruel and they're not nice to kind characters. And it's not justifiable as to why they are. Yeah. And so then you start to like, really be like, I don't like them. And then what ends up happening is you're supposed to kind of care about their journey. And you're like, and then maybe they're banking on the fact that like you you hate them so much that you want them to fail, but like, it's just not enough. It just doesn't have the yeah. oomph behind it. Right. Yeah. And so I think that's where it kind of went wrong. You know, like, you know, I think I look at a project like that. I go, well, I'm glad something like that exists. It helps us all be better. And it's unfortunate that it's, it didn't work. Cause you know, probably people put a lot of time and effort and energy into it. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because you talking about the messages that, and the sort of the culture and sort of how relevant some of its messages are to our time. Yeah there's like, all of that makes me go, it's like, Oh, I kind of want to see that. Yeah. That's why um, I wanted to see it. Yeah. yeah. And, but I, I think that perhaps one of the things that happened was that in, in pursuit of trying to really maybe drive home a message mm-hmm. and make a statement about something, it kind of lost sight of the fact that we still need to care. We right. still need to have a kind of humanity about these people that we're watching. Yeah. We can't judge them. You know, like, like, you know, there's all this judgment going on right now. Cause they did a, they did a test. Um, I don't know if you can get access to it online or not. I'm not really sure, but they said that millennials right now, almost all of them want to be famous. There's a huge percentage of millennials that just want to be famous. Yeah. And, um, you know, 
<clears throat> there's a judgment that goes on about that. Oh, you want to be famous. It's like, you know, but you, you gotta, like, we need to, our society needs to evolve a little bit more. We need to stop finding out things about people and then judging them. And I think the problem with the show is it takes someone who's a millennial and it judges them from wanting to be famous. And what, what the way to connect to that audience is to have empathy for that person. Like I, I look at that person, I go, well, what we needed to tap into was like, really how lonely they felt and how unloved and how important and how like they just wanted to add up and they wanted to be included. But what they did was they did it in a judgmental way where they made this character kind of like very arrogant and mean to other people. And the thing is, is you never, that's fine. All that's fine, but you never got to see the vulnerable side of them. You never got to see them really like, be like, you know, like I, I wish I had friends, you know, and like, and, um, there's this one character and it's weird cause there's auxiliary characters you really love. There's these auxiliary characters that are very like kind. And there's this one guy who like in the show, he's like in love with her and he's just the kindest, sweetest guy. Right. And he's definitely a loser and they design him to be that way. Right. He's yeah. just like a loser at life. They design him to be that way for, for, you know, whatever. But the thing is, is she's so mean and cruel to him and dismissive of him the entire time that by the time she even shows any form of like appreciation towards him, it's just so late. I mean, mm. I would imagine a lot of people would just abandon the show before you even got to that point. And by the point where they, she exposes any vulnerability where she talks about why couldn't I be loved? It's just so late in the show that like, you've just lost me with her so much that I, that, you know, I am not able like now as an audience member. So like, if they make a second season, I'll tell you this, even though it got rated one star and even though I'm giving it this kind of like kind of crappy review, I will probably watch the second season right. just to give it another chance. Cause I think that they're trying to do a good thing. You can see the, but I hope they hear this podcast <laughs> <laughs> and take these messages forward and find the vulnerable because if they do that. I think they got something magical, mm-hmm. but I think it's missing that right now. And I think that's the problem. I think that's where yeah. it's lacking. Yeah. 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 I'm still kind of, tempted to like maybe go and watch the pilot episode. <laughs> I'd love to hear your thoughts. Cause I'm like, Oh, okay. I really you might just like find it's a big this. waste of time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or who knows? Maybe I'll be like, I think you're crazy. I think it's one of the most original yeah. shows. I see. Well, you know, who knows? I mean, you know, I also want to say is like, my opinion is just an opinion. And like, um, you know, if the show ends up doing really well, I mean, who knows, maybe it makes a lot of money. Maybe people love it. Um, and maybe, you know, it catches on and it turns into be this cult thing. Uh, my perspective right now might just be limited to not being able to see past the genius of it. Yeah. But currently the way that I found it was that it didn't seem to me to go into the connectedness of the character. I don't feel that they understood the struggle that a millennial goes through as to why they want to be famous. And if they tapped into that, they wouldn't just get the judgmental audience. They'd get the real yeah. millennial audience that wants to like be famous and relates to it and gets the message. But, you know, I think it's, I think it's interesting that like, the, this whole subject matter and of this thing of millennials wanting to be famous. I don't know if that's actually how new of a thing that is. I mean, certainly like fame is, is, and there's so many ways to be famous now, Yeah. you know? Um, but I feel like maybe it's people are, I think millennials are maybe just more honest about it, like more forward about, it. because I mean, if, if I had talked to, I mean, I know my mom wanted to be like a famous actress, like deep down, but she never even considered it right. as a possibility. 
right? She's like, no, that's, that's silly. So she went and did something much more, you know, much more sort of grounded. Um, and my dad, I'm sure he would have been like, if, if he could have been anything, he would have been a rock star, (laughs) you know, like he, like, truthfully, I think that most people deep down would love to be famous. You know, it's like, it's this weird thing. We would all love to be famous. We'd all love to have people, you know, we'd love to have people know our names, like be household names and, and, you know, have people go crazy for us and just like for our existence in the world. You know, I think there's a part in all of us that kind of wants that sort of thing. Um, and it's a, it, it's a very egotistical thing for the most part, most likely for most people. I mean, mm-hmm. there's maybe a few out there who are like, no, I want fame to create real change in the world. And fame's the only way that I can do that. So yeah. that's just it. And at which point it's like, well, it just becomes a way of you doing something else Yeah, in a way. I don't but know if everybody treats fame as a tool. No, they I don't think it, most people it do. as an identity, uh, yeah. a way to validate. Yeah. 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 But I think that there's a part in everybody that kind of wants to be famous, whether people are willing to admit it or not. So maybe millennials are just more open and admitting that they want it. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I don't this know. is a theory. I don't know if there's any truth to this at all. I'm just, I'm just, um, I don't know, speculating on all of this. Well, you know, <clears throat> uh, that might be true. Um, I think right now the fact that if, if they are just being more honest about it, the whole reality TV, Twitter, Facebook, all these social media outlets, people have much more ways to put themselves out there than, you know, say our parents' generation. So there is, um, it's obviously a more, um, more in the forefront, at least in our culture today. So I think this, this, um, show particular show is kind of commenting on the fact that like, you know, would you really want to be famous if you didn't have any ability or any talent, if you were just a joke, you know, Mm. if you were just a big joke, right? Because there's this, um, and this, the one thing about this character, she, she doesn't recognize that she's not talented. She's like one of those, uh, you know, like American singer. What's those that? American Idol. American Idol. She's like, like yeah. one of those American Idol people who come in and sing and they think they're really good. And you're just like, can you not hear yourself? You know what I mean? And so it's like, um, she just is kind of a joke, but she experiences and seems to walk around the world as though she's really great at what she does. And, um, you know, I think those are, interesting topics to bring to light and kind of make content about. Um, yeah, no, and shine a light on, on yeah. this type of thing. Yeah. But like, I always wondered about that when you saw those people come up in American Idol and they would sing and they would think they were so good and they just had no connection. Like, I mean, it's, they had no connection to how, like, they were not good. Like they had never, it's almost like they had never heard anybody who was good and they thought what they were doing was good. It's like, they, like it was like so out of reality. And that always kind of baffled me. And I think that there is, um, there's an interesting thing about, about like fame is like, you don't, people don't necessarily like reality TV's kind of pointed that out. It's like, people don't necessarily want to be famous because they have any type of ability or skill or like, you know, they want to be famous because they want everybody just to like them and they want to be important as Mm -hmm. opposed to like, you know, fame, fame actually, if you, if you go back to like what fame was really about way back in history, it's because someone did something great and then they didn't really necessarily experience their fame actually. 
other people did. It was an experience for other people to have. The person who was famous didn't actually experience their fame so much. Um, unless you were maybe royalty, then you kind of have fame just out of that. But, yeah. um, then what ended up happening was like, uh, you know, and, and people can, can fill in some gaps with the lineage of it all. But with film, what they realized was that people were more attracted to stars that they could recognize and know than the film ideas. And so they realized that they could leverage that to get people to see movies. So if they saw someone in the movie that they recognized and liked and were attached to, they'd more likely see the movie regardless of what it was about. They yeah. just wanted to see the people. So a good example of this is a Tom Cruise movie. What's the movie about? Tom Cruise is in it. Okay, let's see it. It's like, it doesn't matter. Cause like, yeah. if you like Tom Cruise or you like Meryl Streep or you like someone, whoever, you just name your movie star in some ways, you'll go see that movie regardless of what it's about, just because that person's in it. And they found early on, like, and I think this was in the twenties, might've been around the forties, but somewhere around there. Donna cinema. Yeah. Donna cinema. And they realized that people, uh, audiences were more attracted to the person. And so now fame has become this thing now today in our generation and later generations is basically a thing of personal recognition of validation. Um, and so it's evolved into this thing of us trying to like fulfill our ego, but really it was originally just used by industry. It was a tool that industry could use to sell tickets and get people to basically buy into cinema and buy into stuff that they wanted music, whatever. And so now what's funny is that we, we take a tool it's actually just used for like marketing and we use it to somehow validate ourselves, which is a totally kind of screwed up thing because it just makes us more of a tool to the industry. It mm-hmm. makes us more of a, you know, and so it's really funny because there's, I think there's this, not funny, it's kind of sad, but we have this big confusion around what fame is. And so, you know, the person who says, I recognize that I need fame to change the world is actually more aware of what fame is. But if you're using fame in any way to try to self-identify, it will literally or self-fulfill, self-fulfill. It'll actually do the opposite. Cause what you're going to end up finding is if you get it, you're going to end up finding you have a lot of surface fake stuff. And although that might be nice temporarily, it will ultimately lead to a great emptiness, Yeah, which will, you know, and, and I mean, the that's great a whole nother. emptiness. Yeah. Well, all it does is shine a light on how empty you really are. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it does. Yeah, well, but now you have all these people looking at you, all these people who are now maybe placing more demands on you and yeah. you don't even really know why you actually, you know, it's funny in our society, you lose freedom by being more famous. Yeah. You can't go and walk anywhere on your own anymore. You have to have bodyguards. You got to like, you know, yeah. um, in certain places you just, you know, you live in a gated community or yeah. something like that. So like, what's so great about fame, you know? And plus the people who know your name and like you, they're usually the crazies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're usually the ones that are, that are like weirdly obsessed and will do weird shit. Like they're not the people you necessarily want to be around, yeah. you know, the, 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 really not, I'm not saying everybody, but a lot of, you know, a lot of people that are obsessive about famous people, people who have their own stuff going on, aren't, uh, don't tend to be as obsessive. Right. Cause yeah. they're like, they, you know, when I think you start hanging around some famous people, you know, you, and you're, 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 you know, I'm not a, you know, I'm not saying I'm, I'm not a big deal at all, but I, you know, I hang around with some people who are pretty big deal, apparently, you know, according to, you know, that, but I, you start to realize we're all on the same level. We're all creators. We're all doing our thing, you know, and, yeah. uh, some people who have a little more fame or a little more egotistical, some people are really down to earth in a way you wouldn't expect, but you start to realize it's like, Hey, everybody's scared. 
everybody's just trying to do their best. Everybody's like, you know, and, uh, and at the end of the day, if you talk to another person, like they're another person and not some image or idea, they really tend to appreciate that. And it's, it's refreshing. I've had people say that to me. It's like talking to you is refreshing. <laughs> I was like, well, that's a good compliment. It's like, cause like you just, we're just talking, you yeah. know, we're just talking and that's, and that's all it is. Cause you're a human being. I'm a human being. We might not be in the same place, but you know, I think what happens is when you become famous, you have a lot of people looking at you like you're this thing and you're like, but I'm not really this thing, but yeah, you're objectified. You're objectified. Yeah. Yeah. Whether you're a man or a woman, it's like you're a celebrity, right? It's like people know who you are. Like right. lots of people know who you are. And like, you're just like, you might not even be familiar, especially within like art. Like people might not even know your work very well. They just know that they know you. They just know that they know you. That's another thing is they don't know you and you're going to become, that's going to become evidently clear after a while that they're going to make all sorts of judgments on you, assumptions about you. And they're going to hear something in the media and they're going to think that's true. And it's not true. And you, and you have to deal with that because then they hear that. And it's, you know, being famous and being in the limelight is, it's difficult. I think the thing is, is that people assume that it's easy, Yeah. but it's actually really hard. I mean, I think about someone like Justin Bieber or something like say what you will about him, but to have like a young kid be that famous and be that much in the limelight where everybody's watching everything you do. I mean, you'd have to learn how to tune out all the negativity. You just have to like tune that all out and be like, you know, whatever I'm living my life. I don't care what people say about me because I mean, there's going to be so like, we've already talked about this, like haters, you know, there's going to be so many people that are just going to say shit and spread rumors and all sorts of stuff. Cause they just don't, they just decided they don't like you because for whatever reason, they're jealous, envious, whatever. And they just decide they don't like you. So they're going to start spreading shit. And you know, there's like, what is it? TMZ? That whole thing is based on spreading rumors. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and like they make money off of that stuff. So they're making money off of. Yeah. And that's like, what it, all, all celebrity has been done is, is it's about making money. Yeah. You know? And cause when you think about it, like, yeah, like you, when I'm thinking about like the, the history of celebrity, I mean, there's still like Mozart was like, like broke for huge chunks of his life. You know, it's like, but it's the only way to see Mozart was to go to like his concerts. Right. And not everybody had the privilege to do something like that. And then I think where cinema really opened it up was that it's like, you could see these people's faces. And now it's like, this was something that was screening, you know, across, you know, nations, right. People could go and they could see this thing. And then there was televisions and you're in people's living rooms. Right. And now we've got things like YouTube. So it's like celebrity is just like, it's a commoditized thing. It's like, you can put this out in front of so many people now, whereas at one point in time, you couldn't really do that. You know, if like there was a great actor before the, before cinema, the only way to see them was to show up at the theater that they were doing a play in, they might be sort of known amongst their community, but unless they did a big national tour and even then, like how many people would have still recognized who these people were? Mm-hmm. Would have only been a handful. Now it's just like, it's, it's our technology really. Well, it's and, kind of and fascinating. Also, it is fascinating. I mean, also you're, you're right up close with people, you know, that yeah. you're framed right up there on their face. Right. So you, you know, you recognize every detail about them. So you, you know, you, uh, you have this 
facial recognition, you know, in your mind, like you're looking at that person, like you and I are from as far away from each other. And, um, you know, and then what ends up happening is you, you, you build this weird relationship. You know, they say, uh, um, your mother's voice is, um, there, there's something about like, you'll always, there's something about your mother's voice, which has every person has a connection to, because while you were in the womb, you would have heard your mother talk, you know, so you great create this attachment to it. And there's actually a psychology experiment. They do this. I did it in, in university, but they do, it's an attraction test. So the way it works is what they do is they show you if you're a male and you're interested in women, they'll show you women. If you're a woman and you're interested in men, they'll show you men, whatever. Um, so they show, showed me the series of women, right? And also how attracted are you from a scale of one to five? So rate, all these pictures and just physical attraction. That's the whole test. So I'm this, I'm this attracted to this one, this attracted to that one. And then as you're going through the test, you're going through so many faces after a while. And, but they're lit differently. They're shown a little differently. I started to realize I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the same faces. Like I'm seeing some of the same people again. And, um, I went through the test and I noticed actually while I was doing it, I noticed that I was rating um, some that I was attracted to more attracted to, you know, as I was going through it. And that was the whole experiment. It was that the more you see something, the more familiar you are with it, the more attracted you are to it. So celebrity is kind of like the more we put something in front of us, the more times we, we get stimulated by the exact same thing, the more used to it we are, the more comfortable we are with it. So therefore the more attracted we are to it. I thought you were about to go into, it's like, so I realized that I'm attracted to my mother. (laughs) Some weird Oedipus complex or some shit. No, Evan, that's your own. own Hey, listen, I'm just saying you're talking about, you know, mom's voice and like, I did this test and they're showing me these pictures of these women. I'm like, where is this going? Brandon. <laughs> well, well, I wasn't going there, but yeah, familiarity, yeah. familiarity. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, so the more familiar are with something that tends to be, the more we like it, the more accepting we are of it, which, you know, they actually, uh, released an experiment recently, and this is probably actually pretty old, but they released it recently. And they were talking about how, if you lie, but you tell the same lie over and over and over again, p- people will begin to believe it's the truth. Yeah. And um, because familiarity and what happens is, uh, people believe lies because they get told them so many times that they start to get validated by hearing it. They go, Oh, I heard that before. It's a lie the first time, but they heard it before. And so they keep hearing it again. And so like, um, you know, there's, we have our brains process things based on familiar because our brains want to do as little work as possible. So if we hear something over and over again, we start to assume it's true. We see something over and over again. We start to assume we're supposed to like it. Um, cause why would we be seeing it again? Um, and there's this whole weird psychology to it all, but, um, you know, uh, I don't know. I mean, there's a, there's an interesting, there's an interesting thing about it with like celebrity and fame and all this desire to do all this is like, you know, you create a lie that you have to live that everyone believes, but it's still a lie. And the problem is, is if you live a lie, there's, there's an emptiness that comes with it because it's not backed up by the truth. Yeah. So the downside of, you know, the downside of telling a lie, even if you get everyone to believe it over and over, even if you get in front of everyone over and over, the downside is that it's not, it's not actually real. It's like, it's manufactured. And so what ends up happening is like, you get, 
a, a false sense, more yeah. ego reinforced, more bullshit reinforced. Well, yeah, I mean, because at the end of the day, you still know that you're just a person. Yeah. You're just a, you're just a regular person like everybody else. Like you will always know that, you know, I think there's assumption too, is when you're famous is like, when I'm famous, I'll feel this way. It's like, no, you're going to feel the same way you feel just, you're going to be famous, but now it's going to be worse. All the things that you feel that you don't like, they're going to be amplified. So that mole you don't like on your face. Yeah. People are now going to see that a lot more, you know, everything that you don't like, you don't get to hide it anymore. But right now in your in your, you know, and this is where like, you know, and this is a whole nother talk we'd have one other day, but the whole fear of success, Mm. fear of success is actually an epidemic in the sense that people are scared to step into the light. It's, it's funny. There's an ironic part to it. They want to be famous at the same time. They're scared of success. They want the success and at the same time they're scared of it. Cause like I want the success. Cause I see if I got the success, my life would be this way and this way and this way. Yeah. But if I got the success, I also would lose this, this, and this, and I'd have to deal with this, this, and this. And actually that's worse than getting this, this, and this. So I'll still want this and pretend I want it, but really I won't do anything to build it because it's too scary. Cause if I actually built it and that would mean that I have to actually face this, this, and this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that made sense. No, I, 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 I mean, I'm familiar with the concept of fear of success, but that would be an interesting one to get into, but perhaps not tonight. No, not tonight. Should well, we get back into our original topic, um, before we wrap it up or, or should we just wrap it up or should we just wrap and it up? Get into like, and just wrap up with some of the original, original stuff that we were Whew. riffing over here. What did we talk about, man? Well, we had, uh, I mean, for the most part, we talked about having that deep investment meaningful connection to the work that you're doing. And that's, um, that's like an important thing for me. It's like, sometimes we talk about these things and I feel like I already knew this, but I now I'm like really aware of it now. Like it's, it's kind of hit something. It's kind of like refining. Yeah. 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 And it's like, it's not such a mystery anymore, but it's, I think that with any, um, creative endeavor that you, you go on. It's, um, whether you've been, you know, contracted to do something like that, you've been hired on to, to do it, or whether this is something that you're doing of your own volition, uh, really have that emotional connection to what you're about to undertake and see if it passes. If you're at that place where it passes that test of, would you do this despite what might happen with it. Like, do you, do you have that connection? Do you have that care and belief enough in you to create this thing? Mm. Right. And if, if it's yes, then, you know, you're going to, that's kind of the thing that it will get you through. It will get you through to the end of it. And, um, and I think as a result, you'll produce better work for it as opposed to if, you know, yeah, I mean, you got a good idea. I mean, you've got a good structure. It's all kind of, you know, it checks the boxes off, right? Like it could complete all that, but without that, it passing that sort of test where you're getting something out of it. I think that's the other part of this. It's like you're get, you should be getting just as much out of doing it as any audience member will get out of it. And if you're getting something out of it, then I think you're on the right track with that. And, um, and then we talked about fame. 
<laughs> this last little bit here. We also talked about in relation to finding your connection to the work is we were talking about, you know, how you could have a really good message you want to put forward, but the message is not enough in and of itself. Um, one of the things that really stood out with me was, um, just kind of that recognition of, um, the empathy and compassion part of it. I think that to have empathy and compassion for what you're doing, you need to see yourself in it and you need to understand how you would do the thing. Um, you know, when I think about this show, um, you know, haters back off, I think like, well, that the key there is understanding the, really the, the why behind that person, understanding the, having empathy and compassion for them and understanding what their struggle is and what drives them to actually need that. And I think where people end up failing is when they become judgmental of their characters. And, um, I think just like an actor, I mean, great actors will tell you if they're playing a bad guy, you, you don't judge the bad guy. You find out why this makes sense to them, you know? And I think if you, you know, we're in a time where audiences are too smart now. We're not, we don't, we just don't accept like evil anymore. We're not like, I mean, some people do, some people want that very basic superficial stuff, but for the most part, audiences now are like, they don't just, you you can't just tell them something's bad and they won't question. Like people are starting to think more. And so like when, when they, when they look at stuff, I think they, they might not totally understand why or get the psychology behind it, but I think people are, are becoming more tuned and smarter. And like, you can see, because if you look at eighties action movies and you look at today's action, yeah. movies, they're different. <laughs> and they're different. Cause yeah. they, and I will say, watch them. There's no, there's a lack of empathy and understanding for the, all the characters in those older movies. But now yeah. you have empathy and understanding for most all the characters and the better shows, the better movies, they have that. So I think, um, finding that deep connection to your work and that meaning is about not just having a message, but also about finding yourself in it, finding that empathy and compassion in the characters. And like, I think movies like American Pie and like Napoleon Dynamite worked because the people who created that figured out and really kind of, they might have not done it in a huge amount of depth, but they figured out what those characters were really going through, what their struggle was, what they wanted, why they were the way they were. And then they tapped into that. And that's what made them have that staying power. And, and I would argue that the, the shows, um, that don't, and the actors that don't put forth really great moving performances is because they judge their characters and they lack that sense of empathy and compassion. Yeah. Um, and I would say that's where it is. And then I think this leads into our conversation about fame because this whole fame thing is just, in my opinion, it's a, it's a big confusion. I think it's a cultural confusion, uh, based on the ego and based on this, um, overindulgence and, uh, in the ego and this kind of idea that we can get internal value fulfilled by external needs, but it's like steroids pumped into it. Mm-hmm. Cause it used to just be, you'd buy a sports car and you feel like, Hey, I'm a pretty big deal. Now you got to be a YouTube sensation. You got to be like winning awards. You got to be doing all this stuff. Otherwise you're not a big deal. And it's just going to keep amplifying until it hits a point where people are like, this is totally un fucking attainable. Fuck it. I'm not doing it. I don't care. I don't want that shit. Yeah. They're going to defy it. And some people probably already have, but I think we're kind of in a, you know, in a, in a society where people are kind of still caught up in it. 
And I just want to, before you speak, I want to quote on this one no, thing uh, with uh, T- Tyler Durden in Fight Club. Yeah, I was just thinking were you about thinking Tyler that? Durden. I know, right? Because yeah. he's, like, he's like, you know, we're all taught we're supposed to be rock stars and movie gods, and we realize it's not going to happen, and we're very pissed off about it. And that's what happens. That's actually kind of the transcendence we need to get to. I'm not saying we need to start a fight club, but we need to realize... Yeah. Or general anarchy and... No, you or know. violence. I don't think that's good, but... I do think that that movie pointed out a certain thing is that we were sold this bill of goods as though this was the thing that we needed to be. And we're, we're just realizing now it's like, no, like we just need to feel. And that's why these guys are fighting because they're like, you know, they're tired of being told they can't be angry. They can't be sad. They can't feel, they can't do anything. If they go and do this, they're bad. They're, you know, and men in fight club is really just about men wanting to feel connection and feel like, they have some type of meaning in the world. And so they fight each other. It's like that movie crash. You know, the opening line is, I think we crash into people because we're so like disconnected. We need to feel something. And that's what fight club is. It's, it's basically saying like men are so disconnected from themselves and from each other at this point that we just need to feel like some meaning, some fucking feeling like, like, we're, we're, men are killing themselves on a daily basis. They're committing suicide. Yeah. I mean, I don't mean to take this super dark, but men are depressed and, and men and women, and we're not feeling, and we live in a society where we, we believe, well, maybe if I just get famous, maybe if I just buy these clothes, maybe if I just, maybe if I just do this, everything will be okay. Right. And the problem is, is like, it won't because we're, we have all this stuff going on inside. Yeah. And like fight club kind of like takes that and goes, you know what? We're going to fight in a dark, dingy basement. And you know what? Afterwards, we're going to be friends because it's not about the violence of the fight. It's about we, we connected with each other. And if the only way we can do it is through punching each other's heads in, that's how we're going to do it because that's all society's allowed us. And it's a very archaic, very basic way of doing it. But like, I think we need to evolve as a human race in the point where we allow each other to be like, if men cry, it's totally cool. It's fine. You know, you feel some shit, dude. Cry, cry it out, whatever. But then, you know, express it, you know, let it be cathartic and let's move on. But like, let's not pretend that men aren't sad and depressed. Let's Mm. not walk around in the society like this stuff is not happening. And by the way, I'm going to throw this a shout out. We did a podcast on depression and it's in the title mm. and it was probably about 20 or 30 back. Go, go listen to that. If, if anything, I just said connected with you, man or woman, go listen to that yeah. one. Cause we share some really good stuff in there, I think. And I think this is the thing is like, you take this person who wants to be a YouTube sensation or wants to be famous. And there's really, there's a darkness underneath. There's a loneliness, there's a pain. And, and this YouTube sensation, this achieving this and it's is not going to solve pain. it. It's human. Like it's a human pain. Like and it's, it's okay. not just one person. It's and just most all of us are, I think, feeling it in some way. Yeah. 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 And you're not feeling alone. Cut right? off and separated and, and like don't have an understanding of our, of our place and our connection to the world and to each other. And, and fame is sort of a, it's a, it's a superficial concept of attaining that. Yeah. Right. But I mean, I think that I, because we've seen with so many people who achieve a level of stardom and celebrity and completely implode right. because it doesn't give them the connection. It doesn't give that. In fact, it can make things even more shallow. You can feel even more separated, even more distant from people Totally. upon, upon achieving such a thing. So 
Well, I think that you, you know you were saying when uh, the 30th minute or so you uh, you said it's it's this finding this connection and meaning in our work, and I think the way that we're going to find connection and meaning in our work, I think what what just hit me is that we we don't we have to look at a little bit of the vulnerability we feel because I think you know if I've learned anything from this conversation which I haven't. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, if I've learned anything, I just wanted to make it a little lighter because we got, yeah, 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 yeah. but, um, you know, flap your jaw, yeah. sir, flap your jaw. <laughs> if I've learned anything from this, I just realized, I think that the empathy and compassion comes from us starting to really truthfully look at where we're at and being okay with that. Because when I look at this, like haters back off, I mean, the, the missing element was there was just a lack of compassion and a lack of empathy for this main character or these main characters. Yeah. And if that was there, I think it would be, I think it would have this whole new feel. Um, and the statement it, that it was making would probably be even more, even powerful. more pr- powerful. Yeah. As opposed to right now, I think it's coming from an externally externalized judgment. Yeah. And I think that's where the problem is. And, and I think if you, if you do things from a judgment, you're not going to be connected in a meaningful way to your work. Yeah. And so that's what I would leave everybody with. Well, those are fantastic words to leave people with Brandon. Thanks Evan. (laughs) (laughs) And this has been a not so serious Sunday. Not so serious. That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks.